Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor West Offenbaugh as he gives an encouraging word titled, What the Spirit Says Regarding Prayer. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. I have a message called, Hear What the Spirit is Saying Regarding Prayer. So let's ask God to speak to us today. Lord, we want you to be the teacher, and we want you to communicate with us. Uh, We love to obey you. We love to please you. We pray you'll be uh, ministering to each listener through this message. And we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Vince Lombardi was a famous football coach of the Green Bay Packers football team, and he led his team to victory in the first two Super Bowls. In fact, the trophy awarded to Super Bowl champions is named the Vince Lombardi Trophy in his honor. He was known for his relentless focus on fundamentals. At the start of a training camp in 1961, Vince Lombardi walked into the locker room of the Green Bay Packers and said to his team what would become one of the most iconic quotes in sports history. Gentlemen, this is a football. (laughs) Now that's going back to the basics. Well, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us about prayer. He wants to talk to people who think they know all about prayer, just like those football players thought they knew all about football. But uh, the Holy Spirit wants to talk to uh, people like that that think we know all about prayer already. But we need to be coached by God's relentless focus on the fundamentals of prayer. And I believe he's saying, children, this is prayer. Well, my first point is direct access to Almighty God has been provided for you. Now, the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest intercessors of all time, and an intercessor is someone who can get answers for other people. He wrote, through Jesus, we both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.17. And he also wrote that through Christ Jesus our Lord, quote, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, that is Jesus. And then again, he wrote, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4.16. Now, because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because he was God in human form, and then he laid down his life as a sacrifice being completely sinless, well, that atoning sacrifice has made possible for us to talk directly to Almighty God. Now, try calling the President of the United States. You don't have access. You're not going to get through. Try calling the President of Delta Airlines. I don't think you'll get through. (laughs) You don't have access. In fact, if you call any business, you most likely won't get through to the chief executive. You'll talk to secretaries and assistants. If you're able to get through to a live person, try calling Verizon and uh, see if you can ever get access to anyone that's a live human being other than a computerized voice. I find that extremely frustrating. Yet in prayer, through the name of Jesus, we have access to the very top. Now, friend, that's a wow. And knowing this, we should not neglect, waste, or take lightly this precious and amazing access. My second point is you have an amazing invitation to call God in prayer. 
Now, top, top executives only invite a very few people to, quote, call any time, unquote. Usually the smallest of people who are invited to call are close family members, like sons, daughters, wives, or husbands. In our case, collectively, we Christians make up the bride of Christ, but individually, we're sons and daughters. We're born of God's Spirit, born of God if we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we are invited to interrupt God, so to speak, to call any time about anything. And that's how important we are to God. That's how important you are to God. Now, Jesus said this, ask and it will be given to you. Of course, he also said, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Jesus also said in John 14, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then uh, in Matthew 7:11, he said, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Then in John 16, 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, you have access to the Father and God is inviting you to call <laughs> anytime. Uh, and he won't consider it a, a, a messy interruption. He'll be delighted to hear from his sons and daughters. Now, my third point is glory is brought to God through answered prayers, through your answered prayers. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. John 15, 7 and 8. All right, well, uh, by this, my Father is glorified. That is, answered prayers bring glory to God and then God wants you to bear much fruit in answered prayer. Now, several decades ago, God communicated this to me one night and said, the desire to bring me massive glory, because that's what I'd been praying, Lord, I want to bring you massive glory. So he said, the desire to bring me massive glory is actually a call to prayer, because you can never bring me massive glory unless you keep your spirit sweet so you can open a door for me in prayer. Then I'll come through the door and do the really massive things you could never do. All right, well, we want to bring glory to God. If we do, then we want to get uh, good in prayer. Now, my fourth point is prayer is work. I often think I must pray so that God will help me in my work. Well, in my mind, work is writing sermons, preaching sermons, lining up meetings, packaging and mailing out books, etc. And I pray for strength and anointing to do that work. But in a subtle way, this kind of thinking demotes prayer to being of less importance than work. In other words, if there's not time for both, prayer becomes optional, but the work must be done. Well, we don't want to think that way. Now, the Holy Spirit has been drawing my focus to the way the Apostle Paul viewed prayer. And he wrote in Colossians chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face 
that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, he was talking about the struggle of prayer. He was praying for all those people. He wrote again in 1 Thessalonians, We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And then in Colossians chapter 4, he wrote, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he, that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Well, notice that Paul said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And then he said, Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Now, that doesn't sound like their prayer was just God bless so-and-so. It sounds like they were really exerting themselves in prayer. And, and when Paul said, he's struggling on your behalf in his prayers, then he said, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. All right, so he, he didn't just pray and neglect work. He actually worked hard in prayer. Now, the Holy Spirit keeps emphasizing this to me because I am a worker. I like to work, but, but this is a wrong mentality to think I have to stop working in order to pray. And God is saying to my heart, prayer for others is your work. Now, I'm sure that the struggle Paul said that he had for Christians was the same struggle he, de he described in, uh, of Epaphras, and that's the work of prayer. In the book of Daniel, it says that the prophet Daniel had great administrative responsibilities. Yet the Bible says that he prayed and gave thanks to God three times a day. Now, Daniel must have believed that the work he did in prayer was the most important kind of all of his work. <laughs> See Daniel chapter 6. My fifth point is prayer should be our top priority. And the question, is it? Paul wrote, first of all, then I urge... Notice he said, first of all, that's top priority then. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. In other words, if we don't pray for them, we're not likely to lead a peaceful and quiet life. In a godly and dignified in every way. This is good, uh, and that is praying for those in authority. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, no matter what kind of a rascal some political person is, God desires them to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, when we think, okay, I'm supposed to pray for those guys, and then we pray, Lord, please help these stupid people to do the right things. Now, that prayer doesn't get answered. And so then we quit praying for kings and all those who are in authority. It's like frustrating. It's like, I prayed, but they never change anyway. Well, they can't do the right things until they are changed. So I believe we can pray better prayers. Now, here's some of my suggestions. Pray that God will let them hear the right things so they can believe. The Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they believe, you know, unless they hear? All right, pray that God will help them read the right things and be drawn to the Bible or printed Christian testimonies. I 
became a Christian because I started reading the Bible. Pray that God will help them see the right things, such as a demonstration of God's power, someone getting healed, or that they'll meet someone who they knew to be a bad sinner and see them suddenly and dramatically changed by Christ. Pray that God will cause them to meet the right people, the kind of people that are harvesters or laborers in the harvest, as Jesus said, soul winners. Pray that God will cause them to perceive the right things through the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict of sin and of righteousness and judgment. So there's three different kinds of conviction. And just pray the Holy Spirit will convict them appropriately. So they'll feel the right things and uh, perceive the right things. Now, we want to pray that they'll feel the right things, such as love coming through Christians. They might think Christians are bigoted and racist and who knows uh, what they think evil because they don't know us. But uh, pray that they will experience love coming through Christians. And then pray that God will cause them to experience the right things, such as maybe getting physically healed before they get saved or experiencing the presence of God in a Christian meeting. We can pray that God will help them come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil and that they'll return to God like the prodigal son that Jesus uh, talked about, coming back to his father after he came to his senses. Now, I believe that God is displeased with us Christians because we, well, with probably with most of us Christians because we spend plenty of time marveling at how stupid the politicians are. And we talk to people about this and we grumble and often we mock. But instead, we should pray something like this. Oh, dear Father, please let these people come into contact with your truth and your love and your power. Now, that's a good prayer. And that one's going to please God when he hears it. My sixth point is God wants good stewardship regarding prayer. Now, what is a steward? Well, that's someone who was entrusted with something by a master or lord, and later then the steward has to give an account of his or her stewardship. And we primarily talk about stewardship when we're talking about giving money uh, to the work of God. We should tithe. We should give offerings as good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. But God has entrusted something to us that is more important than money, and that is the access that we have to the Father, the Lord of all, plus his invitation to come and pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what are we doing with this? See, it's a great opportunity, but it's also a great responsibility. It's a, we've been entrusted with access to the Father, the ability to ask anything, and Jesus said he would do it. Well, that's a great responsibility. I wonder how close we are to the parable Jesus told of a, uh, you know, the parable of the talents where the master uh, entrusted a certain amount of money to these servants and uh, one got five talents and he went out and multiplied it so that it became, you know, twice as much money. A talent was a bag of gold, basically. And one was given two talents, and he went out and invested it. And when the master came back, he gave him four talents. But the lazy, wicked servant just buried his bag of gold in the ground. And when the master came back, he said, Here, I, I, here you can have back what was yours. And the master was angry. He said, Why didn't you put it in the bank so that I would have received interest on it? And then he kicked him out of being his servant. Now, 
May God help us not to waste this great access, this great invitation, and this great responsibility. May God help us to be like the good and faithful servant who invested what was entrusted to him and gave the master a big return. My seventh point is we can invest prayer in fruitful ministries. Now, Satan would like us to criticize or belittle or be envious of other ministries. But if we pray for them, it's as if we're investing in them. It's like we're buying stock in a company. Now, Paul was always looking for prayer investors. And a company needs investors in order to expand. Well, my own ministry needs prayer investors in order to expand. <laughs> and we aren't just being humble when we say, please pray for us. No, we're not just being humble. We need your prayers. If you do pray for this ministry or for other ministries, you're investing in them. So pray for ministries that seem successful. Pray that they can stay pure and be spirit-led, stay effective and fruitful. Then what's going to happen is you're going to share in their success and share in their rewards because you've invested in their company, so to speak. Now, we could so easily invest in the ministry of others and share in those profits, that is, their heavenly rewards. But most of the time, we don't. We see a successful ministry and we think, well, that's their deal. I'll pray for my deal. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just say, thank God for this ministry. Thank God for that ministry. Lord, keep blessing them, teaching them, leading them, protecting them. That would be a smart thing to do. It'd be like having stock in many, many different profitable companies. Now, Paul wrote, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And Paul wrote, and pray for us uh, that Christ may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. He was asking the Thessalonians and then the Colossian church to pray for him. Now, for, for my ministry, you could pray that God will raise up sponsors or help me get a grant or grants to put our book, 21 Ways to Forgive, into ebooks in many different international languages so that the International Adult and Teen Challenge Centers of the world can use this book. And then I would like you to pray for funds that we could provide this book to any prison chaplain in the, in the United States in the quantity that they ask for. Now, if, if that prayer was answered, then God would provide uh, through your prayers hundreds of thousands of books because the prison system has two million people in it and most chaplains want a large quantity of these forgiveness books. And then, they, then, then after a year or two, they want another large quantity. <laughs> so we, if, if we could uh, somehow have the resources, we could saturate the whole prison system of the United States with these books. I'd like you to pray for me to have God's grace to complete a new book on divine healing and then I feel an urgency to write another book called Spiritual Strategies for Uncertain Times. I've been preaching that message, and everywhere that I preach it, people seem to really get a lot of help from it. Now, I'm going to be 74 years old on February 24th of this year, 2024, and I have so much left to do. I want to redo my website, and then on this remake of the website, I want to give away all the songs that I've written and recorded, and then 
people will be able to download me singing the songs, then download the background CD so that they could sing it as a solo or have their church sing it. And then we want lead sheets uh, so that people could play it on a piano or a guitar. Uh, a lead sheet would have the words and the, and the notes and the guitar chords. And just have that all for free on the Internet. Uh, back in 1978, a prophetic man had a vision that people were going to be singing my songs all over the world. Now, I've written a lot of great songs that are full of the word, but it still hasn't gone all over the world. But now with the Internet like this, and if we gave them away free, I believe we could lead people in the praise of God all over the world. Well, I need some funds, of course, to redo that website and get that done, and then just to have the time and the energy and somehow to get it done. I could use prayer. I've been losing weight to get myself into shape so I can last another decade or two decades or three decades or how far I can go. Uh, I've lost 14 pounds so far, but I need to lose 20 or 30 more. Now, my wife, Bonnie, does all our accounting, mailing lists, CD duplications. We can both use prayer for our health, prayer for open doors, prayer for God's power, truth, and love to be manifested in all our meetings, writings, and recordings. And when you do hear a good report, then know that this is credited to your account because you're invested in prayer in all we do. And the same thing with those who uh, send finances to help us. Uh, anytime you hear a report, then you get credit for that in heaven because you've invested in us. And we have some wonderful reports. I think I'll just stop and tell you one. Just uh, the, the last Sunday of January, I was in Brooks, Oregon, and uh, a lady came up with her husband in the morning and said, our marriage is just shot. She said, I have the meanest mouth and I, I need prayer for my mean words and, and prayer for our marriage. And so I uh, led them in a, a prayer and then I prayed for their marriage to be healed. Now that afternoon at five o'clock, they came back holding hands out in the parking lot, looking really happy. And that night I prayed for her feet. She had neuropathy in her ankles so that they just felt like fire. And many times she'd just stand on one foot and and try to get the other foot not to be so painful. Well, she was instantly healed. And as she left that night, uh, she said, while I was packing up the book table, she said, this has been the best day of my life. Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. <laughs> now, there was another lady and uh, she came up and she said, I had a bad, severe gastric uh, infection and uh, it's made me so I can't eat solid food. For the last two years, I've only drank Boost uh, four times a day, but no solid food for two years. And she said, the ends of both of my lungs are collapsed and my heart pounds in my chest like a sledgehammer. Well, I prayed for her and uh, she was instantly healed. She went home and ate a steak and a cup of cooked broccoli and a cup of mac and cheese. <laughs> and uh, then she called two or three days later and she said, I got all kinds of energy and breath. Uh, my heart is not pounding like that anymore. I can do all my housework. I got energy. My lungs must be reinflated. And she was so happy. Now her adult son came up and he wanted prayer. He had a bad sciatica nerve so he had back pain and then it went all the way down one leg and he was instantly healed so when they called me a few days later to tell me uh, he, he said I've been running up and down the stairs at church and no no pain now when I tell you a story like that 
and you're one of the people that pray for me or help us financially, see, you're invested. God gets the glory, but you get some kind of heavenly reward. I'll get some kind of heavenly reward. But I, I want you to feel like that's your miracle. That's not just some, because you've prayed for me, you've helped me. Now, we want, we could do a lot more together. All right, so invest. Invest in ministries through your prayers. My eighth point, prayer is the best investment of all. Now, I haven't been a very good financial investor because when you invest in stocks, you've really got to keep watching over those things. They go up and down, and some of them can just go bankrupt, and oh, it's just crazy. I, it takes too much time. It takes time away from the ministry for me, and so I would buy something, but then I wouldn't watch it, and then I'd get clobbered. The investment that has worked for me is just my house because all I have to do is maintain it. I haven't had to constantly watch to see if the value is going up or down just over the years. It's uh, more than doubled in value. Now, when we invest in prayer, God himself watches over our investment. And Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. On a trip last summer to Bismarck, North Dakota, I took my car into the Toyota garage for an oil change. And it turned out that I had prayed for the manager and, uh, and his wife um, to have a baby. And they had lived in Toledo, Oregon, and I had preached there often. And, and he said, uh, you prayed for me and my wife. Now, they hadn't been able to conceive a child for something like 11 or 13 years of marriage. And he said, we're 26 weeks pregnant. <laughs> well... I forgot that I prayed for him. Now, he paid for my oil change, and they were so grateful, and, and that little boy has been born, and, uh, and they're all a happy family. But see, I, I prayed earnestly that they'd be able to have a baby, and then I forgot about it. But God didn't forget about it. And you see, when we pray, God watches over our prayer investment. So, you know, for instance, this last Sunday, I spoke at a church and uh, most of the people came up for prayer had a heartbreak. One lady said, oh, no, my kids won't talk to me. They won't let me see my grandkids or my great grandkids. I'm completely cut off from them all. One said, my husband's divorcing me. And, and they were just saying the most heartbreaking things. Now I just cried out to God in prayer for them, but I won't remember who they are. I probably won't remember that I prayed it, but I'm conscious of this, I pray in the moment with all my heart, and I entrust that prayer to God. And God is going to watch over my prayer investment. He's going to remember it. Hallelujah. Now that's precious to me. My ninth point is that unselfish prayers receive bonus items. Now this is fundamental to prayer. This is one of the fundamentals. Uh, Paul wrote, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints or all the Lord's people. Now, when we pray for all the Lord's people, we're praying unselfishly. We're not just praying for that we'll get a new shoes or something. We're praying for the needs of other people to be met. Now, what do we get out of that? Well, we get a prayer bonus. 
When you pray for others, you forget about your own needs and you're praying for others, God will add things to you that you didn't ask for. Now, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right way of doing things. And all these things will be added to you. And the things he was talking about was when people worry, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? You know, how will we get through? And Jesus said, all these things are going to be added to you if you'll just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we're earnestly praying for the needs of others, what we need will be added to us without our even asking for it like a bonus. God appeared to King Solomon in a dream and told him, ask whatever you want. Well, Solomon asked for a wise and discerning heart so he could render proper judgment and leadership to the nation that he governed. And God was very pleased because his prayer benefited others and wasn't selfish. So God granted his request and gave him vast wisdom, knowledge, discernment, insight, and understanding. But because his prayer was unselfish, God also gave him what he didn't ask for, vast riches and honor beyond compare with any king or person during his lifetime. And God also promised to give him a long life if he'd keep obeying God. See 1 Kings chapter 3. Now once I was writing a sermon about this and I wrote that God's extra bonus to Solomon was exceptional. And as soon as I wrote exceptional, the Holy Spirit just almost shocked me like as if you'd grab a electric fence. I was jolted because the Holy Spirit just immediately corrected me that that wasn't an exception, that's the rule. What God did for Solomon is not an exception to the rule, it is the rule. In other words, unexpected blessings are gonna come to those who pray unselfish prayers and pray for the benefit of others. Now that's fundamental, fundamental prayer. We need to do a lot more praying for others and not be so focused on ourselves. We need to be aware of these prayer bonuses. My 10th point is your prayers can outlive you. Now a president of the country is concerned about his legacy. Leaders of ministries and businesses need to be concerned about succession, who's gonna take over after they leave. I hope to have my books continue to be used around the world after my earthly life is over. But God is drawing my attention to prayers that can be answered long after a person has gone to heaven. Richard Sigmund was dead for eight hours, and during that time he experienced a wonderful tour of heaven before Jesus sent him back to tell what he saw. And in heaven he saw a huge auditorium where people went to watch their prayers being answered on earth. (laughs) And his book is My Time in Heaven. But they'd go to this auditorium and prayers that they had prayed were still alive even after their earthly bodies had died. They were in heaven and watching their prayers being answered. Now, one great example of this is the prayer Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. You should read that chapter because that prayer has been ongoing, alive, continually being answered for nearly 2,000 years. It lives. It never dies. Now, one of the first songs I wrote is called Wash Me in Your Word. The whole song is a prayer to God. And the second verse says, Wash me in your spirit, Holy Spirit, now. Let me be a channel for your love and power. Use me to deliver 
and set oppressed people free. Holy Spirit, come in your love and power. Take control of me. Now that prayer has been living on for 50 years or more. I've seen its fulfillment over and over and over. I've been used of God to set many oppressed people free. But this is a prayer that can be answered after I've gone to heaven because God could continue to use my writings and songs to set oppressed people free, and I could watch it being fulfilled from heaven. I think we all should ponder the kind of prayers that we could pray that would keep on being answered after our earthly life is over. One example would be pray for your loved ones and descendants because uh, your kids will have kids, their kids will have kids, so the family keeps growing. We could pray, oh God, have mercy on this, all my descendants, let them be on fire for you. Now, George Mueller, prayed and supported something like 2,000 orphans just with prayer in, in England years ago. But he, he was known to be a great man of prayer, and he prayed for one man to get saved, and he prayed for him 60 years. And when George Mueller was on his deathbed, someone reminded him, you've been praying for this guy for 60 years. You say God answered prayer. Well, this guy still isn't saved. But Mueller said, I know he will be. I know God's going to answer that prayer. And Mueller died and went to heaven. But after he died, the man did accept Christ. And George Mueller must have been in that auditorium and watched his prayer get answered from heaven. Now, we want to see what kind of prayers we can pray that will outlive us. Number 11, I have 14 points in this particular sermon, pray with confidence. Now, I want to describe some different kinds of confidence in prayer. First, there's the confidence of knowing that it's God's will. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. So the more you get to know God, the more you know what he likes. I don't wonder if it's God's will to heal people. Jesus died on the cross to provide eternal life and healing for our bodies. The Bible says by his wounds we are healed. So I can pray with confidence knowing God's will. Now, secondly, there's the confidence of being the kind of person God wants to hear. That first one is pray the kind of prayer God wants to hear. Secondly, be the kind of person God wants to hear. And this means that you're confident you don't need to repent first before you pray for someone else. So if someone else comes up and says, my marriage is horrible, I, I'm bound by alcohol, or my lungs are collapsed, or whatever, I can't say, well, well stop, wait right here. i got to go over here and repent. No, I need to be ready to pray. And this is the confidence, the Bible says, beloved, if our hearts, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Well, that means you practice your prayer life all day long, every day, by practicing walking in love and obeying God. If you are bitter, if you're unforgiving, when you pray, your heart will condemn you, and then you won't have confidence. Now, if you're inconsiderate and harsh to your wife, your heart will condemn you when you go to pray. Peter wrote this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life 
so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, if you're mean to your mate, whether it's a husband or a wife, your prayers are going to be hindered till you repent. Now, God first called me to be a soul winner back in early 1970s. And he told me to start with children. And so after several years of bringing in hundreds of children to church on buses, I asked God if he had anything else for me. And he said, yes, I'm calling you to be an intercessor. Now, that's a person that can get answers to prayer for other people. And then God taught me that I would need to be the sweetest person in the church. I couldn't be bitter, critical, judgmental, inconsiderate, slanderous, a gossip, apathetic, or indifferent. And he showed me what a sweet spirit verse is in the Bible. And then he led me to find those verses and memorize them. And they're the kind of verses that are ignored by many Christians. But if we practice them, we'll live in a confidence that most other people don't have. And it's the confidence of knowing there's nothing hindering our prayers. I've listed a hundred of these verses in the appendix of my book, The Heart God Hears. And we've started discounting that book to $5, even though it's a $10 book. We want people to get it. Let me give you a few examples from that uh, book and the sweet spirit verses. The Bible says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door, James chapter 5. So we should pray for people instead of grumbling about them. The Bible says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky, Philippians 2. And Jesus said, You've heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, that's a term of contempt, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift, Matthew chapter 5. Now the idea here is that if you refuse to admit when you're wrong and refuse to say you're sorry and refuse to ask forgiveness in order to be reconciled, then your offering won't be accepted and neither will your prayers be accepted. And friend, if you tell somebody to go to hell, you're in danger of going to hell yourself. Now, admitting when we're wrong and asking forgiveness is just as important as forgiving others. But it's easier to forgive than it is to ask for forgiveness. A prideful person may say, I forgive you, but only a humble person can say, please forgive me. But you know, it's a lot easier to forgive someone. You can say, I forgive you, and you think, I forgive you, you jerk. See, a prideful person can say, I forgive you, but only a humble person can say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Now, Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's a sweet spirit verse. I was mad one time in a grocery store and uh, pretty harsh to the uh, clerk. And uh, when I got out in the parking lot, the Lord spoke that verse to me. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And I was embarrassed. Now, King Solomon wrote, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Ecclesiastics 10.10. And the loggers of old, you know, before chainsaws were invented, they used axes. 
and they spent time sharpening those axes so that cutting down trees would be much easier. And when we memorize sweet spirit verses and then we practice them, it's similar to sharpening our axe. We get much better results in prayer because we don't have to first repent. We don't have to first admit that our attitude was lousy, right? Our axe is sharp. In other words, we're ready to pray. We don't have things hindering us. And so that's a confidence we have because we, we love God and we keep his commandments. Now, the third confidence is that the Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. Jesus said regarding the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it or make it known to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you or make it known to you. All right, so the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. Now, when I pray for people to be healed, I often quote this verse, and I ask the Holy Spirit to take a gift of healing that belongs to Jesus, because all the healing belongs to him. But I ask the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus by bringing it on down. And I know that the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus, so I pray with that confidence. Now, Jesus said, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge, John 8, 50. So I'm confident that the Father wants to glorify Jesus. So sometimes I'll just say, Father, oh, Father, and dear Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus by, by healing and helping this person. And then I have confidence that they're going to want to glorify Jesus. And, you know, it is God's glory to help and love his little people. So many of them, are, we're just like little sheep. We desperately need a loving shepherd. And God, God is uh, so good. You know, he, he glories not only in glorifying Jesus, but he, he glories in showing love to his people. All right, then there's the confidence of praying in Jesus' name. So I'm confident that Jesus wants to bring glory to the Father. He said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son, John 14, 13. So when I pray and say, in the name of Jesus, I know that Jesus is going to use that prayer to bring glory to the Father and that he's highly motivated to do so. Notice that helps me pray in confidence. And then there's the confidence of agreement in prayer. Jesus said again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, Matthew 18, 19. Before I got into the ministry, I was out of Bible college and I worked in a veneer mill and one of the unsaved men in that mill said that his brother had been arrested. He'd let someone borrow his car and they had left illegal drugs in the car and when the police pulled him over for some little thing, then they found the drugs and they were gonna prosecute him and imprison him and it looked really bad. They were gonna throw the book at him. So. Uh, I said to this uh, unsaved man, uh, I said, me and, and Bob over here, Bob Cogborn was another Christian that worked with me. We both wanted to go into the ministry, but I said, uh, Brother Bob and I, we, we got a, a secret weapon, and we'll use our secret weapon on behalf of your brother. And that really perked his entrance. He wanted to know what our secret weapon was. And we said, well, Jesus said, if any two of us would agree is touching anything we ask, it'll be done. So we're going to agree that the judge will throw that case out. And that's what we prayed. 
And that's exactly what happened. Now, see, we had confidence when we're both really in agreement. There's a great confidence. My wife uses this verse a lot when she loses something. She'll get one of our daughters or a grand or our granddaughter um, to agree with her that it'll be found, and they always get their answer and they find that thing. Now, my twelfth point is believe that you have received. Jesus said. See, these are fundamentals, like the fundamentals of football. These are the fundamentals of prayer. He said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's Mark eleven twenty four. Now, many fail to receive healing because they do not believe they have the answer. So they'll say things like, I know God will heal me someday. Even if big, powerful anointing has gone into him, many people just won't believe they've received now, I tell them, why don't you believe right now and say, I've been anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of pray, faith has been prayed for me, according to James chapter 5. And the Bible says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So that's all happened to me. You've laid hands on me and prayed the prayer of faith. And I'm recovering. Well, that's a lot better to say I'm recovering than to say, I know God will do it someday. Because Jesus said, whatever you ask Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, Paul wrote this in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, notice, we're supposed to pray and then thank God that he's good, that he cares, that he's heard our prayer, and this thanksgiving is an expression of our faith. I wrote a chorus, and it's on the album Holy in His Sight, my, one of my music CDs, but it goes like this. Until the day I see what God will do for me, I'll believe and walk by faith instead of sight. Until the day I touch the thing I need so much, I'll believe that I've received and walk by faith. See, David, when he was running from King Saul, took his mother and father to one of the other countries, and he said to their king, watch over my mother and father until I see what God will do for me. He was believing that God would protect him, that God would make him the king of Israel, and he believed he'd received it, but he hadn't seen it yet. Okay, so until the day I see what God will do for me, I'll believe and walk by faith instead of sight. Until the day I touch the thing I need so much, I'll believe that I have received and walk by faith. Now, what are you praying for? Are you believing you have it? Are you thanking God for it before you see it or touch it? Now, so often we pray, but we do not believe that we've received it. We're waiting to see it or touch it first and then believe we've received it. Just do what Jesus said. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it <laughs> and it will be yours. <laughs> My 13th point is there's great health benefits in prayer. Heart problems are still the number one killer, more than cancer. But the Bible says a heart at peace gives life to the body, Proverbs 14, 30. Peter wrote, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
Psalms 55, 22 in the Passion Translation says, leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace will strengthen you. Look again at what Paul said. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter four. Now when you believe, when you pray and believe that God has heard you and you thank God for hearing you, a supernatural peace comes into your heart. And living in divine peace is the key to living in divine health. The peace of God will guard your mental health and it'll guard your physical health. Now listen carefully, but if a switch of some negative emotion is left on, it'll drain health from your body. Negative switches left on would be something like constant grief, constant anger, constant, and I'm stressing constant anxiety, constant grumbling, constant jealousy, constant self-pity or constant strife. People who pray and forgive others, who ask for God's love and patience and who cast their cares on the Lord, those people get those bad switches turned off and they get switches like love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, and faithfulness left on continually. Now the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. See, the man who's kind, he's got a good positive emotional switch turned on, but the cruel man, he's got cruelty turned on. And a cruelty switch is gonna drain health from the body but a kindness switch is gonna benefit the body. Now there's gonna be more and more medical breakthroughs and more products and health food products and different things. And, and I'm always on the watch for those kind of things and uh, I buy some different types of vitamins and stuff. But a heart at peace will always be the main key to a healthy and long life. See, a cruel man could eat the best food, take the best supplements, join a gym, exercise, sleep on the best bed, but his cruelty's gonna find a way to drain away his life. Now, the ancient Israelites that Moses brought out of uh, Egypt, they were eating manna from heaven, the food of angels. So it was the ultimate health food. But the whole generation died prematurely because of unbelief, anger, jealousy, grumbling, and other negative switches that were left on continually. Now the Bible says this in Proverbs 17, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now a broken spirit means that a switch of sorrow and grief is left on continually. And a broken spirit dries the bones. Paul wrote this, the sorrow of the world produces death. So again and again, the Bible warns us about leaving these negative switches on continually. In my opinion, few people consider this. Instead, they're relying on prescription drugs. And almost all the prescription drugs have bad side effects. Friend, if you'd walk in the sweet spirit, memorize those verses, practice kindness, love, gentleness, patience. Pray and cast all your cares on the Lord and believe that he's heard you and thank him. Let the peace of God keep and guard your hearts and minds. Then I urge you don't eat so much sugar. <laughs> don't be overweight. Don't drink the sugary pops and the diet drinks. Come on, be, 
put some common sense in there. But above anything you could take as a supplement or any wise food you could eat, having a heart at peace is supreme. Now, my 14th point is pray in the Spirit. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, God will give you the ability to communicate with him in a language that your mind doesn't understand. It's called praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. And you can describe how great God is for hours and hours when you pray in tongues. Just adore him. But when you're very troubled and you don't know what to do, then when you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you utterance that's in the mind and will of God, and it bypasses your natural mind that doesn't know even what to ask God for. Now, the Bible tells us in Jude chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, there's only one chapter, so it's verse 20, that we build ourselves up on our most holy faith as we pray in the Holy Spirit. And Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 14, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself or builds himself up. And Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, when problems seem overwhelming, I usually lay on a bed and pray for one to four hours in tongues, very quietly. But if something just like it's going to wipe me out, I have no way of getting out of this. I don't know what to do. Then I go into praying in the Spirit. And uh, if it seems like there's just nothing I can do, I pray in the Spirit and I pray through the mysterious answers. Sometimes God will let me know, you know, the essence of what I prayed and I'll get a divine strategy. Other times I just feel better and things just work out. So Paul said, I will pray with my mind and I'll pray with my spirit. And we ought to pray both ways. And uh, now, someone will say, doesn't the Bible say, do all speak in tongues? Well, that's talking about gifts of the Spirit, where someone prophesies in tongues and it's supposed to be interpreted. And not everybody's going to have that gift, where the flow comes down from heaven and out to the people, and then it has to be interpreted. Kenneth Hagin said, Lao, two nickels equal a dime. So prophecy is like the dime, but tongues and interpretation are equal to prophecy. They're like the two nickels. They're equal to prophecy. So not everybody's going to be used where the message in tongues comes down and out to the people and someone has to interpret that. But we're all able, as the Holy Spirit gives us utterance, to communicate to God, to pray in the Spirit. And the Bible commands us to and tells us to. Now, uh, so don't let the devil tell you, well, maybe God doesn't have that for you. You should just believe the word absolutely he has it for you and don't make it hard just say holy spirit take me over and fill me then aim your heart at god and begin to describe how beautiful and wonderful he is from your heart go ahead and speak some words you'll find that god will make a beautiful flow of language and you'll just adore the lord and then you'll sense a wonderful peace now as we close the bible tells us to devote ourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. So we watch for opportunities for people and situations that need our prayers. Boy, our nation sure needs our prayers, doesn't it? We need to devote ourselves to prayer. We need to go back over these fundamentals and become a really winning team as we practice them.
Now may God use you in prayer to bring massive glory to his name. May God use you in prayer to help so many other people. May God add wonderful bonus items to you as you pray unselfishly. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426. 